Welcome everyone. It is Monday, April the 15th, 2019. It is currently 5.11 p.m. Central Time. Well, over the past few weeks at Victory Baptist Church and on the VBC 66 app, and let me just stop right there. If you do not have the VBC 66 app, take a few minutes, go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Once you are there, do a search for VBC, which stands for Victory Baptist Church, VBC and the number 66, VBC 66, and download the app. So let me start again. Over the past few weeks at Victory Baptist Church and on the VBC 66 app, there has been a lot of discussion on this idea of a worldview. We have talked about worldview and worldviews how people view the world. And we, we really started working on building a biblical worldview. As Christians, we should have a biblical worldview. And the foundation for a biblical worldview is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the foundation for a biblical worldview, it tells us that God is the cause of everything. He brought it into existence, that everything has a purpose because it was created by God, and therefore that purpose must be found in God. And if we were created by God, then obviously we were created for God. Therefore, God would be the one to establish a morality. So right and wrong is not something that we decide, but it is something the creator decides. And he is transcendent from his creation. He, he is outside of his creation. He created things for a purpose and he sets a morality upon that creation. Now we can reject the creator, but if we reject the creator, well then guess what we are left with? We are left with trying to figure out what our purpose is. Is there any meaning? Is there any purpose? And is there a, an objective standard of morality? Is there a transcendent morality that, that we can say that this determines right and wrong and it is fixed and it is outside of ourselves? Therefore, we can't come along and say, well, we don't like that standard, so we can change that standard. And where we're in an ever-evolving, changing uh, system of morality that is never fixed, and what was right can become wrong, and what is wrong can become right. That seems to be moral chaos. That seems to be moral confusion, which is where our world is currently at. And the reason they have the the reason the world is currently in that situation, it's because, well, they have rejected Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They have rejected the creator. They have rejected the idea of a creator. Therefore, they are left with a very difficult time trying to determine purpose, trying to find meaning, and trying to figure out how we determine what is right and what is wrong. Now, I say all of that because, well, it was Sunday again. Yes, my Sunday evenings, I love my Sunday evenings because as I, after I'm ready and prepared for Sunday evening worship at Victory Baptist Church, I hop in my car and I have about a 20 minute drive. And on the way there, I turn my radio to 91.3 FM and guess what I listen to? I listen to Stand to Reason with Greg 
Kokel. Now, I don't always agree with everything he has to say. I don't always agree with everything that is posted on the Stand to Reason website. I don't agree with everything that airs on their radio program, but I always find it to be interesting. I always find it to, that it challenge me, challenges me intellectually and challenges me theologically. And so, guess what happened? This Sunday, I was listening to Stand to Reason, 91.3 FM, on my way driving to Victory Baptist Church, and guess what I heard? Someone called into the program and basically asked this question. Listen carefully. Can an atheist refute the moral argument by demonstrating that evolution can trick us into believing and an illusion of morality? Now that's a mouthful. Let me say that again. Can an atheist refute the moral argument? And we could talk about the moral argument and we could go into a lot of discussion about the moral argument, but one of the things Christianity says is that if you, re if you reject God, right, then you don't really have a way to determine right and wrong. And because we're all moral beings, that seems to imply, and we all have this sense of right and wrong, and we all have this sense of, of that's not fair, that's not right, that, that is horrible, that we may even use terms that that is evil. Even atheists may use the term that what, you know, what Hitler did was evil. But where do they get this sense of morality? Where does it come from? Well, this leads to an argument that God is a moral being. He created us in his image. Therefore, we are moral beings. And because we need a, a, a way to determine right and wrong, that leads us back to having to believe in a God, a divine lawgiver who gives us a law. A lot of that has to do with the moral argument. So what this caller, he called in, and it was around the 40-minute mark of the, of the program. He calls in, and let me ask the question again. Can an atheist refute the moral argument by demonstrating that evolution, all right, so they want to argue against, they want to refute this moral argument. They want to refute this idea that we need a God for morality, that we're somehow, because we believe in morality, this is a proof that we're created in the image of God. They want to refute that entire moral argument and all the different branches of that moral argument by demonstrating, listen what they're going to try to demonstrate, that evolution can trick you and me into believing an illusion of morality. See that what evolution did is evolution decided that, hey, um, morality is a good thing. I don't know how evolution decided this, but evolution decided that morality is a good idea and it decided to trick you and me into an illusion of morality. It began to trick us that of this idea of right and wrong and there really isn't any right and wrong. There really isn't any objective standard of right and wrong. It's simply an illusion that evolution produced in your brain and my brain. And we're basically, when we speak of morality, we're following through an, an an illusion that has been placed in our brain through the process of evolution. Now, there's some immediate problems I have with this theory because if I, if I understand that evolution created the illusion, then I am not deceived by the illusion, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to be deceived by the illusion, then I would never question the illusion. But if I can step outside of it and go, no, no wait a minute, this whole idea of morality was created by evolution, and evolution created it, well, then I, I, then I know it's an illusion and I know the illusion is false, so then why go along with it? And obviously, I'm not 
I'm not deceived by the illusion if I know that it's an illusion. I mean, there's so many issues with this idea, but it sparked an interesting conversation for pretty much the rest of the program. So this is what I want to do. I want you to hear that entire discussion. Again, um, the program's an hour long, and this started at um, the 40-minute mark. So it's a pretty lengthy discussion. Now, um, there may be some things that happened after this caller um, that I'm not aware of because, well, I got to church and I had to go into church to, you know, because I'm the pastor. So I, so I had to go into church. So I had to turn off the radio. Uh, so, But um, I want you to hear it for yourself. Again, the question is, can an atheist refute the moral argument by demonstrating that evolution can trick us into believing an illusion of morality. And and I'm and I'm challenging even the question and go, wait a minute. If I if if it creates an illusion in my brain, then why would I be able to then determine that it's an illusion? And if I determine it's an illusion, then what's the value of the illusion? And if I realize it's an illusion, then guess what I'm left with? Still no objective standard of morality, because morality is simply an illusion. So do I either does the illusion work or doesn't it work? And if it doesn't work, then I'm right back with the same problem. You don't have an objective standard of morality. You have no basis for morality. You can say this is right and you can say this is wrong, but it would, it would only be your personal opinion only binding upon yourself. And, and, and at that point, I mean, well, we could, we could lead to all the moral issues that come up. There's so many. But I want you to hear this discussion. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. And well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to pretend it's interesting, right? Because because you care about me and you want to be encouraging. So you're going to say that was the greatest thing you've ever posted on the VBC 60 app, the VBC 66 app in history. Okay, well, I don't know. Would that be encouraging or discouraging? Because it'd be like, wait, I, I've posted a lot of things and it took until uh, April uh, the 15th for me to post something of value. Oh no, don't say that. That could be discouraging. Just just say it was another wonderful thing that you posted on the VBC 66 app. And I will be greatly appreciative. But no, in, in all seriousness, if you do hear this, you can send me feedback through the feedback tab on the VBC 66 app. Let me know what you think about this argument. Let me know if you find some logical fallacies in this argument. If you see some problems uh, to refute it, and you well, you can hear how Greg Kogel answers it. So again, this, what you're about to hear, comes uh, to us from uh, the Stand to Reason uh, radio program. This aired here in Abilene, Texas, um, last night on 91.3. Um, I don't know when it originally aired. I think uh, the Abilene broadcast is a week behind. But I want you to listen to it for yourself. And you're going to hear a caller call in. He's going to ask Greg Kokel a question. The question is, can an atheist refute the moral argument by demonstrating that evolution can trick us into believing an illusion of morality? Greg Kokel is going to answer it. He is going to mention a number of books, I think two books, and a number of philosophers. I would greatly challenge you to listen carefully, write down the name of the books that he mentioned, and maybe go find them and read them for yourself because it will help you be able to deal with it. Again, let me let me state let me state this right before I play this. 
if you don't realize that we're in a culture that is literally in moral chaos right now and we cannot determine right and wrong, we can't even determine now, are, are we allowed to call a man a man and a woman a woman or is that somehow now morally offensive? Um, is, or is there, can we say there's only a male and female gender? Is that morally offensive? What, can we say anything is right? Can we say anything is wrong? You know, the whole idea of right and wrong is being turned upside down right now in our culture. And Christians are going to have to become better equipped in how to and answer some of these moral uh, issues. And well, when you have people believing that evolution can trick us into believing in the illusion of morality, and that morality is really simply an illusion, that leads you to um, a concern about where we're headed in the future. And atheism is growing. I posted uh, some information about that on the VBC 66F about um, how many people now who claim no religion outnumber, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think right now outnumbers even maybe even the number of evangelicals. I can't remember the actual statistic, but it was shocking. The, the, the amount of people who now claim no religious affiliation has dramatically increased uh, like crazy and it's getting a lot of attention. And when people begin to reject the idea of God, they're going to reject the idea of, of an objective standard of morality. And that's going to lead to moral chaos. And we have to be the salt and light speaking truth to a culture that's now stumbling around in the dark. And they can't figure out what's right and what's wrong. And, and, that, and it's impacting every aspect of society. We've got to be better prepared. And we can be better prepared by taking time considering questions like this. So... Here is the audio from Stand to Reason, the radio broadcast that aired here in Abilene, Texas last evening, last night at around uh, 5.30 p.m. Central Time. Um, the caller calls in. He's going to ask a question. Can atheists refute the moral argument by demonstrating that evolution can trick us into believing an illusion of morality? You're going to hear the caller. Then you'll hear Greg Kokel try to answer the question. Listen carefully. Hopefully you'll find it to be beneficial. Have a great evening. God bless. Hi, Greg. Good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. Thanks for your call. Sorry if this... My question regards the moral argument. Sorry if I repeat an earlier discussion. I was on the phone with Amy for part of that. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so, my quest, so my question is, could an evolutionist refute the moral argument by showing that evolution can trick us into believing morality exists. Well, uh, if it, it, you are very careful in the way you worded that, and the, the answer is maybe, given the way you worded it, if they could show that evolution could trick us into believing in objective morality, uh, then our beliefs in objective morality have nothing to do with the way the world is. It just has to do with the way evolution has tricked us. Now, I, I know there is a philosopher who actually believes this, uh, and he's a bright guy. When I say actually believes this, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, like, subtext, yeah, this stupid idea. That's not what I mean. I mean, this is a point of view that uh, Michael Roos over at Florida State University or um, one of the Florida Hughes um, holds, and I, I've read his piece on this, and what he says is that that evolution has—he's an atheist, and he believes in evolution, but he believes, <clears throat> he believes in objective morality. 
Now, I've got to put scare quotes around believes, because he says he believes in objective morality, but he has no basis for it. And the reason he believes in objective morality is he be- he thinks that evolution has tricked us into believing in objective morality, or else morality wouldn't serve evolution's purpose. So, of course, we believe in evolution, uh, objective morality in virtue of evolution, but since it's evolution, which is subjective, you're not going to have any grounding or basis for it, and he admits that too, okay? So in a certain sense, Michael Roos holds the view that you're describing, all right? But that doesn't mean that he satisfied the requirements of your question, okay? So let me, let me make an observation about Michael Roos, and then I want to speak more directly to your question, okay? Are you with me so far? Yes. Yeah, okay. So doesn't it strike you as odd that Michael Roos keeps switching hats? Um, yeah. On the one hand, he's saying, I believe in objective morality. Then he switches his hat to, and the fact, the reason I believe in it is because I've been tricked into believing it by evolution, because there really is no objective morality. There's no basis for it. But if we didn't believe in objective morality, uh, then it wouldn't do evolution any good. But it's really just subjective. Okay, switch hats. Now, I am the product of my evolution, and I believe in objective morality. See what I'm saying? It's This sounds right. like a little goofy. He, what he is saying is, there is no objective morality. I mean, let's be let's be fair with this. There is no objective morality, because there is no basis for it, and that we, be, we are tempted to believe in objective morality is simply a function of our, relativist, of, of our evolution, and uh, therefore morality, in fact, is relative. Now, that's Michael Roos, the philosopher, speaking. He knows better. So I, he's, it, it's like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, and I'm not trying to diss him. I'm just asking, how does that make sense? Really. So, um, but there's another problem. So that's the first observation. There is a guy who holds this, and he knows he's mistaken in his view, because he admits it. (laughs) It's weird. Secondly, um, the, the question you asked is something to the effect of, if it could be shown that Darwinian evolution could create the illusion of... Objective morality. Right. Okay. Um, we have never seen any accounting of any kind how Darwinian evolution can create any conscious state of mind of any sort, especially an illusion. Mm-hmm. There is, think of it, Darwinism is a materialistic concept. That means all that's going on is particles moving in different places. That's all it is. It's all material, top to bottom. It's just moving around, moving around, moving around, moving around. And some combinations of those molecules are such that they allow those same kind of combinations to be reproduced more than once, multiple times. How are you going to get by moving molecules around. I mean, just this is just a matter of a conceptual experiment. Just reflect on it. You keep moving molecules and moving molecules and moving molecules in the physical realm. How is it going to create something 
in the non-physical realm to pop into existence, into reality. A, an illusion is a non-physical thing. It is when your consciousness is being appeared to falsely. You have a fall—your consciousness has a false awareness. So now you have two things that evolution can't explain. It can't explain the awareness, and it can't explain the consciousness that has the false awareness, because consciousness itself is a type of awareness. But it's not physical. Neither of them are physical. Nor are moral obligations physical. Nor are thoughts physical. They don't have any physical properties. They have propositional qualities, but not physical qualities. So I think the evolutionist is in a mess here because he can wave his wand to dismiss the argument from morality by saying, well, maybe evolution just caused us to have the illusion of objective morality. And and my response is, no one has ever demonstrated how evolution can cause any kind of mental state. None. It's one of the most serious problems of evolution, and that is consciousness. And that's why Daniel Dennett, one of the new atheists, says uh, consciousness is an illusion. Okay, do you see the problem there? Right. I'm not sure. <laughs> Was that right? I agree. Right? I see. Right? No, I hear you talking. Of what? Uh, I'm not sure where you're at with that, because I have another problem uh, with with this whole approach, too, in a minute. Uh, if I can remember it now, it's slipping my mind. But um, this this is... Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so, so... Okay, here's the other difficulty. just came back to me. So the first one is that Daniel Dennett seems to be aware that he's being deluded. If you know that you're being deluded, then you're not being deluded. Is that fair? Right. Okay, so that's the first problem. Second problem is, is Darwinian evolution cannot produce an immaterial state. Nobody has ever shown that. Mm -hmm. It is one of the single largest problems with Darwinism, and this is why a professor from New York University named Thomas Nagel wrote a smallish book called Mind and Cosmos, and the subtitle is The Materialistic Darwinian View of the Universe is Almost Certainly False, or something to that effect. And it's because—and he's an atheist. It's because it can't account for consciousness. Okay? Here's the third problem, though. If evolution is causing an illusion of— objective morality. It's causing us to believe a falsehood, essentially. Is that fair? Right. That's the argument. What what other falsehoods is evolution causing us to believe? Do you realize uh, so that this, if you—pardon me? So this argument proves too much. Exactly. It consumes itself. The minute we acknowledge that that evolution can cause us can can cause us now notice the language can cause us to believe falsehoods and i don't think evolution can cause us to believe anything i have no reason to believe that but if if it's stipulated it can cause us to believe illusions then how can we trust anything we think we know and uh alvin planning has has famously brought this up I say famously because he's a famous guy, and when he says it, then everybody quotes him. But a lot of other people have thought the same thing. 
See the problem? Right. So uh, even our ability to reason goes out the window. It, it's gone. It's it's all by because of an accidental process that did which does not have truth in view because natural selection doesn't pr- choose select for truth it selects for survival. Right. So um, this way of thinking is bad or wrong or compromised in about four different directions and each one of them <laughs> each one is fatal. So I, I'm not the least impressed. So you have to be careful when atheists offer counterfactuals. Well, what if this, and if this, right. then this? See, no, well, well, you know, you can if anything you want. You can stipulate anything you want, but you've got to justify the if. What if it caused mm-hmm. us to believe in objective morality and evolution did that? Well, then it did, according to your stipulation. But can it? I've seen no reason why it can. And if it can, then it throws all of the rest of our knowledge including our knowledge of evolution, into question. That's the, that's the horns of the dilemma for your atheist buddy. Right. So okay. someone making this argument, A, probably doesn't actually believe they're in an illusion. Um, B, if they do think they're in an illusion, evidently the illusion failed. Um, yeah. C, it's... their argument's probably a just-so story. And mm-hmm. D, if it's not a just-so story and evolution can produce that stuff, what grounds do we have to be talking? Yeah, you got it. There you go. And by the way, it's not an argument. You've used that term a bunch of times. It's not an argument. It's an assertion. That to right. say that evolution has caused us to believe the illusion of objective morality is a conclusion. Mm-hmm. It is not an argument, because there is no argument offered. It's simply the assertion that it's so, with a what-if right. added to it, to, to, to create doubt. Well, if, you don't have any, if one doesn't have any good reasons to believe it's so, it happened that way, what are these reasons by which you come to the conclusion that evolution has done this? Well, there's no argument, and so there's nothing to deal with. And so um, uh, this sounds like a Peter Bogosian kind of move to me. I don't know if where, where, where you heard, first heard this, Ryan, but Boghossian is fond of raising uh, questions that are conditionals. Well, if X, Y, Z, then your view is wrong. Oh, my gosh, you got me there. I mean, people think that because they, they don't know how to answer the conditional because he says the conditional as if it's actual or at least probable. But if it's not actual or probable, there's no reason to think it, then we don't have to worry about the, the, the fulfillment of that condition, if then, you know, and uh, this is what they have to do for us. That's why I said at the beginning when you raised the question, well, if they can show such and so, they might have a point. But now they got this problem, and you got this problem, you got this problem, and by the way, there's no reason to believe that it can do that, <laughs> That's exactly. the just-so story that you mentioned. So, uh, from what I could tell, you're on top of this. Did you? Is this a friend of yours that raised the issue? Or somebody you met on the street, or how did this come down the pike to you? No, this is really just me just reflecting on oh, um, I see. the moral argument uh-huh. on well, how in... to make sure that link between our sense of morality existing and the fact of morality existing is strong. Well, everything that you know is tied to some sensory faculty. 
it's either an empirical faculty or it's a reflective faculty or it's an intuitive faculty that is you you have some things already built in that allow you to see certain things that exist. Your eyes are there to help you see physical things. Um, your f- other mental faculties also allow you to see things, but the things you see are not physical. So if I said um, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore what? What would you say? Socrates is moral. Yes, mortal. okay. So what you did, which is correct, and I ask people, how did you know that? And they say, I learned it in philosophy class. No, you didn't. You, you saw that the conclusion that you just stated to me, Ryan, followed from the first two premises. That following element, that's something that you perceive with a mental faculty. And it's not even controversial. I mean, that's why everybody gets the right conclusion to that syllogism. Because you have a faculty that allows you to see those things. Um, If we are going to question all of our faculties, um, then then we're we're not going to be able uh, to—that's radical skepticism, and we're not going to be able to come to any conclusions whatsoever. I think it's fair that you're asking the questions. It's a good idea. Because then you, then you work through the nature of these issues, and you can see what's working and what isn't working, and you can be ready when somebody else kind of comes back at you with a challenge. But um, in this particular case, you've posited a really—it's um, um, it's a good challenge for both of us to think about, but it's not a sound challenge. It's the kind of thing—I mentioned Peter Bogosian— where that right. atheist, are you familiar familiar with his work? I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, okay. So a Peter Bogosian would offer that challenge, and some Christian would be lost because he doesn't know how to answer it, and he'll think that his view has been undermined, when all it is is really a clever kind of assertion that sounds intelligible, but the but it's not sound in terms of its um, justification, not even an argument. So uh, anyway, hey uh, Ryan, out of time here, okay? All right, it's a good question. Thank you very much, Greg. Okay, we appreciate the call, and I'm glad Ryan, you're thinking about that. I'm glad we were able to chat about it a little bit, but. Uh, that's how we solve some of these things before they come up. And then when they hit us, we're not caught by surprise because we're thinking through them or have thought through them a little bit. All right, friends, that's it for this hour. Greg Kokel and Stan DeRiesen. Give them heaven this week. Bye-bye now.